Well, good morning. Um, I frighten myself sometimes, and this morning is one of the mornings where I'm quite frightening myself. So let's have a prayer first to bring everything under under God's authority, shall we? Because um, there is something stirring in me that is it's like a lion roaring here. So, Father, thank you. Father, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you will come and put your hand on me heavy and 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 hold me down father everything that isn't of you just don't let it come out father father you've entrusted me us with your precious lambs and you've entrusted them for a purpose and i want my purpose to be exactly the same as yours lord jesus i do not want to have any agenda of my own about anything so I ask that right now you will just come and do whatever you please with us this morning. Cause us, Father, to hear your voice, the voice of the bridegroom calling, rise up, rise up, my love, my fair one. The winter is past. It's time to rise up. So, Father, just take take the words father you know exactly where everybody is i ask that your word will touch every single heart will stir every heart this morning because it's not my words it's you as uh, that little thing says that uh, and gideon was nothing in the fray just a suit of clothes the holy spirit wore that day and i just want to be a suit of clothes that you're wearing today holy spirit just nothing to do with me and everything to do with kingdom business so take us where you want us to go father in jesus name thank you lord amen right well as i said this morning when i was looking i was looking 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 in psalm 132 and it was as dead as a dodo i can't i think it was where i got towards about the passion of david that something started to stir in me uh, and um, just what, as God does, one thing led to another. Am I too close to the mic, June? Because I noticed I was sussing a bit when I um, played back the other one. Is it okay? Yeah. The first thing I want to draw your attention to before we go anywhere with Psalm 132 or anywhere else, because the things that are happening in the church and the difficulties that people are having about coming out of church I want to talk to you a bit about the difference between the church and the kingdom. Now, I'm a kingdom person, and that is why the church doesn't understand me. Because my agenda is not their agenda. My agenda is not to get followers, people following me. My agenda is to equip people for kingdom purposes. And so, therefore, I've got, I've got a dichotomy here. I've, I'm a troublemaker. And a troublemaker, there's a diagram here, like a, it's a two ways. One is liberal, one's conservative, and the third choice is kingdom. Well, I go for kingdom stuff, and without realizing, my choices are always lined up with, with kingdom. And uh, Bob Mumford says, well, when we see kingdom, it stabilizes us and gives us an overview, and it has allows us to see beyond the failures of the church. Any fool can see failure, I can see it everywhere and it doesn't matter because my viewpoint is further on and higher, wider, further, global. It's not just what is happening in the local assembly and the pettiness that is going on there. 
that is just pettiness. Uh, so we need to have a look. Um, Jesus says, it says here, he says that Jesus doesn't attempt to clean his fish until after they're caught. Isn't that a brilliant thing? <laughs> it's his kingdom. I'm just quoting um, Bob Mumford now. Uh, now coming, now demanding repentance, acceptance, and change of behavior. And that is the issue of, of kingdom all the time. And a man once said to him, he said, uh, I believe in seven raptures. When we see the kingdom, we can say, that's okay, I forgive you. you know, see, I don't mind what other people's viewpoints are. I won't argue them. It doesn't matter to me. That is not the issue. If that's where you are, bless your heart. I respect your right to be wrong. I wouldn't say that to him. Uh, uh, when we see the kingdom, it stabilizes and gives us an overview. It allows us to see beyond the failures of church. And many of the diversions due to our particular denominational emphasis will lose their strength when we see kingdom. The kingdom, being different than church, provides a base for unity without compromise. Isn't that lovely? And it's not possible without seeing and understanding the difference. We can fellowship with all kinds of people simply on the basis of the transcendence of the kingdom. Jesus came preaching kingdom. He didn't come preaching church. I've said it so many times. We mentioned church about three times. He mentioned kingdom about 52 times, if not more. What did John come preaching? The kingdom. He didn't come preaching church. What's happened is we've picked up what we can do and we've run with that. And man has then got a handle on it and controlled it because he can control a small group of people. And that is exactly what you see. Uh, there's a splendid little story in that book that Gina gave me about um, passing the baton. He talks about a life station, lifeguard station on the beach. Little hut, one boat. And all day, every day, they went out saving people, bringing them back, all bedraggled, hosed them down, cleaning them up, this little lifeguard station. Well, people began to join. Those that were saved in from the sea in that place... Uh, began to look for something more comfortable so they built on it they made it bigger um, and it became quite a club so much to the extent that they got fed up with going out and saving people themselves so they employed somebody else to go and do it for them when they had done that one day there's a huge shipwreck and this they bring in hundreds of people dirty different shades of skin didn't like them decision we must make a shower block outside to clean them off before we bring them into our nice little cozy little shed that is now a huge building this calls to split so <laughs> you can tell can't you it says there's now many lifeboat stations along the edge of the line. does it sound familiar oh it sounds familiar so we can fellowship with all kinds of people simply on the basis of the transcendent kingdom. How they choose to run their church becomes less alarming. It releases us from trying to correct and change everyone and everything because the government is on his shoulders. Uh, and there is one in our midst who has had a little head-to-head -head with a, um, a church leader and I listened to it and I thought, there's something wrong here, Lord. How can a church leader be going head-to-head -head with a lamb arguing about doctrine? 
there is something fundamentally wrong here. And I, I woke up to him, I said, somewhere in one of Bob Mumford's books, I know I've highlighted it, and I've got a lot of these little books. Well, you can guess it, my hand straight went onto it. And that was the bit I was looking for, the difference between church and kingdom. It gives us a view that accepts where people are, what they believe, still loves them but encourages them to move. Because rise up, my love, my dove, my fair one, and come away. So um, I've hardly looked at the scriptures this morning for my for my sins. I just I couldn't get a handle on it today. It's quite interesting. There's things popping up everywhere with people ringing me and saying, "This is happening. That's happening. What does this mean? What does that mean?" But th just for a moment, it's it's called challenging the comfort zone, and she she doesn't like this. She wants to stay, and actually, she doesn't move. If you know the Song of Songs, at this point, she stays there. Um, she's sh in her first um, crisis in in uh, Song of Songs one. We won't go there, but she want to sort of start this off really. Uh, she, her sin was being a veiled woman with the unkempt vineyard. Her own vineyard she hadn't kept. She'd been too busy keeping somebody else's. And again, this is a fault of the church. You go into the church, they get you involved in keeping someone else's vineyard. And your own vineyard you don't keep. Your own relationship with the Lord slips and slides because of the demands upon you. Let me tell you, the most important thing in your life is what you think about God, how you see him and your relationship with him because everything will flow out of him and there has as graham cook says there is an anointing on your own relationship with him that surpasses the relationship and your that, that surpasses the anointing to, for ministry to others and that has to be kept topped up that that inner well must be kept topped up because you will very soon find that you turn your tap on of your anointing and there's one drip banging out the bottom empty tank I remember that so well. I was over at the Wesley Center with, with Joyce and I got this picture of an empty tank turning one little bit and I was absolutely empty. It was because I'd given out all I had and nobody had taught me how to refill myself. And over the years, God has taught me how to de-stress in him. Um, I mean, from time to time, those of you who know me, I've, uh, I, I went back to drinking after 10 years dry as a bone. Um, some five or six years ago now because I was trying to de-stress in the same old way. So Satan will seek to take the ground that you've already got. You've got to be watchful over your territory because he'll be after it. He'll be after snatching it back, coming around the back door before you know where you are. You're doing what you used to do before to de-stress yourself. So it's, it's a life of constant vigilance really, but it's lovely. Anybody who says being a Christian is easy, I mean, they have got no idea. There is, this, there is the Christianity that joins a club. I mean, there is that that we were talking about and comes comfortable. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the real thing, what God wants to do in these days. Because I've been saying to him, what is your plan in the earth right now? What is it? What is it you're after right now? He hasn't told me yet, but there's a gleam in his eye because he likes that question. Like Moses, he's brought me to the place where I ask what he wants me to ask so as he can give me what he wants to give me, if you see what I mean. When Moses said, I beseech thee, slow down, Beryl. <laughs> Show me thy glory. I just suddenly realized I'm going like that. <laughs> um, it was because God had put that desire in his heart. So he'd asked for it. 
you know. What do you want for Christmas? Oh, I don't know. Well, don't you want a so-and-so? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Well, surely you do. Wouldn't you like one? Of, oh, well, oh, I don't know. I'll have a think around that, you know. It's the way that God is. He'll put the desire in your heart to cause you to ask for it. So I'm asking, Lord, what is it you're doing globally? What is it you're doing? I want to see. Anyway, this girl has faced her first spiritual crisis. And the Lord has said in Song 2, 7, don't disturb her, but now he's disturbing her. It's the voice of God himself. And in, in 2, 8, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. By the way, these two are of hinds feet on high places, those two lambs climbing up the lamp there. Look, they, they're making for the top, those two. So just follow them there. Giving them hinds feet on high places. I said to Joyce this morning, that's what that was. In in two eight, she's confronting her second spiritual crisis, and it's fear. Um, we don't know how much time has elapsed between when he wooed her before and said, and she said, "My own vineyard, I haven't cut." But now he's waking her again. In the first, he said, "Don't don't wake her, let her sleep." But now he is awakening her, and Jesus is knocking on the door of her heart to bring her out of that comfort zone into mature partnership with Himself. And this season is going to bring changes in her life. And the time frame between verses 2, 7 and 2, 8 in the Song of Songs could be a week, a month or 10 years. It's different for all of us. Uh, but the thing that started me off this morning was bridal partnership. About being in bridal partnership. When you're in bridal sh partnership with the Lord, you are with him doing what he wants to do. You no longer have an agenda of your own. You, you are, your interests are identified with his interests as far as the lambs are concerned. So you have got total identification with his purposes. In this, I think it was the Song of Songs by Watchman Nee that I looked at this morning. He said a very interesting thing and I thought that's where I am. He said when the bride becomes totally identified with what the Lord wants to do, the Holy Spirit will initiate things through her that are not hers, but will not settle on anyone else. So she is starting something that people around her don't like. And I thought, that is exactly where I find myself. If this gentleman rings me, my response will have to be, I'm not initiating anything, because I'm not. He is. And if he is, nothing can stop it. If this thing be of God, don't try. <laughs> and, and I thought, that's where I am. He is initiating something through me that is not my volition at all. <laughs> the phone call with Tim a bit later on in the evening as well, which was quite... Oh, by the way, he said if, um, to, give him your, to give you his phone number if you want to talk to him. You know, because uh, he's been there, seen it, done it. Got the T-shirt, video, and a set of tapes on the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, but it's so interesting. Once you're actually, you have an identification with what God wants to do, with what the Lord wants to do. Y it is no longer you that lives, but Him that lives, because you're actually moving in the things that He wants to do. So, y you're out of control completely, and that is what He wants to do with everybody. Um, the other lovely thing that I saw in that Passing the Baton book is that 
everyone wears a mantle. So therefore, each one of us should be, in order to pass something on, you must be going on and pressing on yourself. I said this to Sue some time ago when she started the group in Crayford. Where are you going with the Lord? Who's teaching you? Because you will need to go further or you can't feed those coming up behind you. You very soon exhaust what you know and they begin to ask you questions where you're clawing the air. So you have got to be pressing into God. It's that, it's that uh, upward call that is constantly going on in our lives. He doesn't want us to plateau out. He wants us to go. Go for, single-mindedly go for everything that he's got. So if you, everyone has a mantle to pass on to someone they know. So by definition, you are going to be pressing into God because that person if it, it, it's like a baby at the breast. It's going to be coming back for more. And you don't want to go run dry. So you've you, you just got to be pressing on. But the, I spoke to Tanya last night and she said that uh, that is not the view of the church. The view of the church is that only a few wear a mantle. Give it out. Give it out. It's not right. Everyone has a mantle. See, it depends on which, which uh, uh, lifeboat shed you're in. <laughs> Do you know, reading that book really tied it in for me because years ago I had a, a vision, a dream, I cannot remember what it was. I was in a small lifeboat. The engine was running. We were kitted up and geared to go because there was a ship in great distress. It was a stormy night, ship in great distress out there in the bay somewhere. There were about four of us on this boat, only four, tooled up, kitted up, ready to go. There was someone on the jetty, got their May West on, I want to come, I want to come. And I remember I'm in this boat looking up at this person and I'm weighing up whether it would be safe to take them. And I said, nope, we'll get halfway out there, the bay, and you'll be puking over the side and you'll be taking more attention than, than anybody, you know. We can't have it. Everyone coming out on this lifeboat's got to know their position, know their station, and our purpose is to save lives. And it was, it was really that moment of assessing. They had the zeal, but they didn't have the equipment. They weren't trained up. And I knew they'd be throwing up over the side. I want to go back, you know. We <laughs> if you sign up for it, you've got to be tooled up for it. And uh, God is so gracious. He will not let you go out on that lifeboat to save others if you are going to be a liability in the day of trouble. So right now what's happening is that we don't want to be a liability. And trouble is going to come. Men's hearts are going to fail them for fear, the Bible says. But we are not those whose hearts are going to fail us for fear. So right now God is, is it's urgent for the bride to wake up. It's urgent for her to, her to hear what he's saying. It's really urgent so that as she hears she will go and tell other members of the body, hey, you can't sleep there, can't sleep here. Jack Town all steps, as my dad used to say in the Navy. See? Apparently the Tars used to get drunk, go sleep, and it was a town all steps, and the policeman would come along, give him a kick, can't sleep here, Jack Town all steps. <laughs> Lots of little sayings like that. It took years before I referred to the floor as the floor and not the deck. My father used to say, oh, dro don't drop it on the deck like that. Because, <laughs> of course, he'd been in the Navy for so long. Anyway, comfort zones.
But in 2.17 she actually refuses to leave the comfort zone until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. Turn, my beloved, go away. <laughs> Be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. Yeah, just leave me alone. I'm having a lovely, I'm having a lovely sleep here, and I'm laying me. He's staying me with apples. There's the branches overhead. My couch is green. I want to stay here. Uh, so she refuses to leave the comfort zone. And the issue actually before her, when you boil it down, is is Jesus Christ a safe God? That's what it's all about. Is it safe? To obey him a hundred percent. In the flesh it seems safer to be in the boat without Jesus instead of on the water with him. She wants guarantees at this point. What will this mean if I step out? At which point God goes silent. Because he's not going to give you a written guarantee. He's going to say, am I not big enough? And you get to choose whether at this point... But what you need to know is he will not leave you alone. And uh, when you determine not to move, it gathers interest. That's what happens. And it makes it more difficult when you finally do decide you will do what he's told you to do because it, ga it compounds, it gathers interest. So that's why uh, you will always hear me pushing obedience. Like, do it. Whatever is said, do it. If you've got it wrong, he will stop you. He really, really will. We were talking on Monday night about the money, giving away the money. I had some money when I was uh, first left work. And um, I couldn't, I, I felt that I didn't know what to do with it. £10,000 it was, and I didn't know what to do with it. So I thought I'd give it to the church. But this £10,000 was on three months notice because it was uh, in, a, in a building society. So I told the church that I was going to give it to him, and David said, that's nice. Laconic, wasn't impressed, didn't mind whether I did or not. So the three months goes by, and the night before I'm due to get this check out to hand it over to the church, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was standing at the top of a flight of stairs with an old lady in my arms. At the bottom of the stairs was my mother standing, looking at me with the look of reproach on her face. She was saying, why are you looking after her who you don't know when you're not looking after me so when I woke up I asked the Lord what it was and of course instantly it was you're not to give that to the church so I went and told my son who was cleaning his teeth I think at the time he said that's good because you never asked me whether you were going to give it you know when you were going to give it away I never got any say in the matter on that he was ever so gracious and I thought next step is phone David. I get these revelations in the bath. I was in the bath at the point when I remembered that one as well. And when he told me to give up smoking, I remember them clearly. Mm. Another one I won't tell you at the moment. Um, a bit too personal, that one. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I come out later. So you know the Lord is transparency here, isn't it? So I phoned David and I said, David, I've made a mistake. That's all right, he said. Uh, don't worry about it. We'd have only given it, we'd have, not only, we would have given it into missions anyway, so, you know, we wouldn't have held it as a church, so don't worry about it. But you see, God will correct you if you make a mistake. Do not let the fear of making a mistake stop you doing what you think he's telling you to do. Paralysis of analysis. As we go on more and more, 
our obedience in these little things may cost someone their life. I mean, look at um, your husband that time. Never forgotten that. When he was chopping that tree down and the Lord said to him, move over to the right or whatever it was, which was the opposite way to the where he thought the tree was going to fall. He thought the tree was going to fall on the side where God was telling him to go. But in, in, in obedience, he shot straight over there and the tree fell in the opposite direction and would have landed on him had he not moved. The obedience is so important, it could cost you your life. I remember a man, he wasn't a Christian, but he told me that he, he, he got smashed up in a motorcycle accident. And it was a terrible night, wet, uh, uh, stumping down with rain, lots of grease on the road everywhere. But he knew a shortcut, and it was through under a railway arch. He said, as I went to go under the railway arch, there was like a red luminous sign no entry it was trying to stop him going that way ignored it head-on collision with a car coming the other way leg broken in numerous places completely smashed up God was warning him don't go there so um, I mean this may be speaking to someone this morning if he's saying don't go there for goodness sake don't go there it was the word for today wasn't it a couple of years ago where he kept talking about this hole in the road with the um, <laughs> the cordoning off like that don't keep going down the road where they got it cordoned off and falling down the hole you know I mean choose another route walk around the hole <laughs> we sometimes just keep falling into the same hole anyway here we are um, bridal partnership and as I said before she's not initiating anything because the Holy Spirit is initiating through her and she becomes a pilgrim this is where we're going to pick up in Psalm 132 going wherever the Holy Spirit desires it's no longer I mean that song there I'll go where you go if you're responding I'll go where you go you're saying wherever you, wherever you take me that's what Crosby was saying wherever you take me wherever you take me wherever you take me that's what he's looking for he doesn't need cartloads of people with partial obedience he needs a handful of people who are t utterly sold out and obedient to what he wants to do and through that person those people he will do mighty things I want to be one of those what is the purpose of my lifespan if it ain't going to count what is the purpose if I've got nothing to hand on to the next generation? Well, I've got my, I've retired, I've got my little cottage with my roses round the door and a, a lovely orderly garden and I've lived out my life in having done absolutely nothing. I don't want that. I get one shot at this thing. I really do. I mean, and I suppose because of my age, you see, you get more and more aware of the fact that you've got to redeem the time. I haven't got 40 years. I'd have to be 130, would I? No, can't add up. I can't add up. How much? Thank you. Oh, I might make that. <laughs> no, I don't think I want to make that with the way things are going. <laughs> oh, dear. I want to go out and full steam like Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, that's my real desire is apparently he was warming himself by the fire. and uh, Now, somebody else was... He was well, they were in the vestry, and this man was saying to him, and and, uh, and how's so-and-so? Uh, Smith was asking this man a question, how's so-and-so then? And the man responded, told Smith how he was, and when he turned around, Smith had died. 
just going to be with the Lord, just like that. You see, the transition between now and there is nothing if you're walking with him. I think it's when I'm going to talk about um, what happens when a person dies. I believe it is perfectly possible to step from this life into the next one and not notice the join. Because we walk through the valley of the shadow. A shadow is not going to do you any harm. It's if the rock falls on you, it'll do you a bit of harm. But when we're younger, we tend to think, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I've got plenty of time. Have you? We got If, if it's not the, the fact that tomorrow you may walk under a bus, he may come. Uh, interesting in that in that book, um, Passing the Baton, he talks about the second advent, and I'm thinking, I know where you're coming from. Where's the rapture? No rapture, second advent. Second advent will make people think they've got plenty of time. They'll say, oh, well, we don't know when that will be. But if you're a rapturist like me, I say, could be today. I want to be found occupying when he comes. What about you? What did he say? I leave these things for my stewards. Occupy till I come. He didn't say occupy yourself. We're going to the cinema, playing roulette, going on holiday. He said occupy, work till I come. Do it. So that you've got a return for him. We don't want it wrapped up in a napkin, do we? We want to be, you know, I've made this for you. But none of us know what it is we're making for him. But our day-by-day choices... Those little incident, oh, well, yeah, I'll go and do that today. You know, it doesn't matter. Waste a bit of time. There you are. You've wasted time. Really, I cannot say it strongly enough. Time is the only commodity we have. Money is not our commodity. Time is. It really is. Grieves me intensely when I waste time. And when God says rest, I'm sitting there champing at the bit, you know. Can't I be doing something? Do I have to be... We do, isn't we? Ah. So, life in the spirit is about displacement. It's about getting the ideas out of us that we've got now and replacing them with the right ones. So, my my job and people like me is to shove good stuff into you, pack down as Graham says, I'd like to take the top off your head and stuff it in and then put the top back down <laughs> on your head. You know, and it stuffs in more than you can actually cope with. Uh, and that's good. As I said last week, didn't I? Sermonettes make Christianettes make churchettes. I don't want any ets. I don't. I want fully mature sons, and I want to be a fully mature son myself because it's only the Hueyos that gets to get daddy's checkbook and gets to see where daddy's working and gets to go out in bridal partnership. That's a, the mixed metaphor, isn't it? Fully mature son and the bride all mixed in together. But it <laughs> you know, my sheep hear my voice. And again, one of uh, the primary jobs of a prophet, any of you called into the office of prophet as opposed to pro- the prophetic, there is an office of prophet and it is totally different. The office of prophet is more governmental and authoritative and it has a, a degree of take it the right way rulership with it because under God you have delegated authority and responsibility you're responsible to him in the delegated authority that he gives you and that that is true for every shepherd every pastor 
he must remember that he works only in delegated authority. He's stewarding the flock of God and he is responsible not ultimately but now to God for what he's doing with them, their sheep. It is To be brought into leadership is a devastating thing because suddenly you're not only responsible for your own walk, you are responsible for your care, your provision of the sheep that he places into your care. And any, any good farmer will know his flock. He'll know whether one's got bad feet, one's a bit slow, one's up the back, they've got to watch out for that one, has a tendency to stray. He'll know, he'll bring them in. He meets them where they are. He doesn't treat them like a conglomerate because actually under the, the chief shepherd, he's a, I'm a shepherdess. There was a time where I had prophecies that kept saying I was a shepherdess and I'm thinking, shepherdess. All I could see was Bo Peep. <laughs> and I'm thinking, the frock don't suit me for a start, you know. I mean, all frills and a little crook with a bow on it. I'm thinking, that's not my style at all. Bow, yeah, bow at a seer. That's more like me, you know. Ta -da, come on, girls. <laughs> anyway, so it's displacement. Our job, my job, is to teach you to hear him for yourself. And when I'm sure that you can hear him and you'll obey him, then I'll, I'll, I'll really let you go. But in the meanwhile, I'll be round there watching to see whether you're okay. You know, I, I, will, I will, if you will give me the permission, I will bring that correction when you need it for your good. Not because it's my comfort. That's the difference, isn't it? It's like, turn that television down, it's getting on my nerves. Whose comfort's that? God says... He admonishes us, uh, not as your parents do, not as your father did, but he admonishes as a good father for your best, for your benefit. So a leader should be admonishing you for your benefit. And if you catch me admonishing you for my comfort, you're absolutely entitled to say to me, you're out of order. Because I am there to look after the sheep. I'm there to pour my life out to make sure those sheep are okay to get up in the night when they're lambing and, and be with them, you know. Not that I'm expecting any of you to suddenly go into birth. <laughs> you know what I mean? When they're bleating, that's it. Hear them, hear the, ble hear the difference in the bleat. When, when, uh, when the mother's calling the baby to when it's in distress. You know the difference between a sheep when it's in distress. Sometimes it takes us a while to recognise the distress bleat. Uh, but this is true though. You know, when you're working with people and folk, you're presented often with aggression, hostility, argument, butting. And if your flesh comes up against it, you'll rise against it. And you think, for crying out loud, if I have one more out of that, I'll give them five-fold ministry. You know, and then God suddenly begins to show you what's behind that. Not always, but often behind hostility, aggression uh, is pain. And what is happening is that inadvertently you are stepping on an area of pain and you're getting the full force of the explosion. You may have said something that to them is a shaming message and you've no idea. So you're blissfully sailing along, unaware that you're treading on the toes. That's another picture I had once, oh dear. There were these two rows of feet 
no space between them facing each other with all these throbbing big toes on both sides. And I looked at this and I thought, I can't put my foot down anywhere without treading on a stone. <laughs> it has been thus. I said to Tim last night, I said, you know, I can sit in my little chair in the corner there and stir up leadership without even moving outside the door. They've never met me. They've never, they don't know where I'm coming from, but I can, I can raise their blood pressure <laughs> just simply by being there. There's nothing to be proud of, but that's the way it happens. Anyway, where, where's that taking us? So my job is to make sure that you hear the Lord, to, to, to keep correcting you so that you seek the Lord because your personal revelation of him will equip you to do everything that he's called you to do. So if you have a little look at what your personal revelation of him is right now, who is he to you right now? What is the primary thing that you think of when you think of God? Who is he to you? What did Moses say? I beseech thee, show me thy glory. If I have found favour in thy sight, teach me now. Teach me now thy ways, he said. There's two things here. The Israelites saw the works of God. Many people will be touched and healed and see the works of God changes their hearts, not one whit. People can get healed and delivered and all sorts does not change their hearts. And it doesn't go anywhere. People say, isn't that amazing that happened and yet they're unchanged? It's the ways of God that we want to, to know. And Graham says, he, he said, some people love the majesty of God. Some people know, love the holiness of God. He said, I love the mind of God. I love the way he thinks. So I started saying to the Lord, what, what are you to me? I can't. I can't put my finger on what it is that you are to me. You're, you're everything to me. Everything, everywhere I look, you are all I need. But what is it that I, I love who you are? But I think that I'm like Graham. I like, I love the way he thinks. I love the way he does things. We had a problem here. It was young Tim actually phoned up with it on Monday night. Um... And I gave him some advice, which was totally out of my own flesh and my love for him. And it was not, it wasn't of God at all. So the following morning, yesterday morning, I sought the Lord over it. And instantly got the answer. Because I said to the Lord Monday night, 12 o'clock, what is this? He said, I'll tell you in the morning. It was like, I'm not, you're not staying up this time of night to find out. I'll tell you tomorrow. So Julie, the morning came and he told me and he showed me. And it was not what I would have said at all. His ways, he is so beautiful when he sorts something out. But it will always mean, if you're the one he's dealing with, that you are the one that submits in the situation. He will rarely want you to come up with a fistful, unless he is trying to get you to actually rise up and not be passive. See, you know, you, you've got to cover all bases here. In this situation, Tim was rising up. Uh, and I said, you've got to let it go. What? <laughs> Thanks, mate, he said, because I caught him at school yesterday. And then he rang me last night, and uh, we talked it over, and he said, uh, I said, it's the only way to peace. Because while two of you are in conflict, one of you has got to stop. 
and it's got to be you because you're the one in knowledge. And then the whole situation will dial down. So if you're in a head-to-head -head anywhere, ask the Lord if you need to be actually just letting it go. I said to him, step out of the ring. When you're not in the ring, you're not going to go punch on the nose, are you? Um, God's the way he thinks. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Higher uh, as the heavens are above it. And it but do you notice... It's as the rain comes down and the snow and waters the earth and brings forth buds, seeds. He's not saying, you haven't got a clue. He's saying, my word actually brings forth fruit. And I got a revelation one day. I'll get in, I'll, maybe I'll even get in Psalm 132. I'm talking about passion, aren't I? You see, this is what I'm talking about. Um coming between the kitchen and the lounge one day he said this to me my ways are not your ways and he followed it immediately with saying my ways of love are not yours and that unlocked it for me I thought that is what you're talking about because everything you do everything he does is in love if the enemy or yourself is persuading you other than it is the love of God that prompts and precipitates everything he does in your life you've got a lie in your truth drawer you know about the three drawer cabinet don't you there's truth in the top drawer thinking about it in the middle drawer and lies in the bottom drawer it's quite possible to have truth in your lies drawer and lies in your truth drawer so some, every now and again you have to ask the Lord to do a little sort out of your filing cabinet. Am I believing any lies here? Because what you believe will govern how you live. That's the way of it. It's your core belief that governs the way that you respond to things. You really, what is right in your gut is what, is what responds. And it takes time for that change to take place. And the way it takes place is by getting the word of God into you. There ain't no shortcut. If you're reading the word and you're suddenly finding you're arrested by a sentence or even a word, stay with that word until it's done its work. The word is active. It's active. It's got a f it has a life force in it and it will change the way you think. If you're short of money, then you're going to look or words that say he is your provision and you will keep speaking that out over your life till you believe it that's the way it works you keep speaking it out my one is for me to live is Christ to die as gain God forbid that I should boast save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ whereby the world is crucified to me and I to the world I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And since I've been raised with Christ, I seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so it goes on. So I set my affections on things above and not on the earth beneath. For I died and my life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is my life appears, I will be like him. What's happening? Christ is becoming my life. My life is becoming Christ's life. The two are merging together. And before I pop my clogs, 
I intend that his life will be greater in me than my own natural life. Because that is the progression that we're all supposed to be coming to. It knocks straight into a cocked hat any idea of comfortable Christianity. Because you suddenly start seeing there's more to this walk than ever met the eye. You know? So it's a passion. It's not a passion for church. It's not a passion for people. It's a passion for Jesus. And out of that passion for Jesus will come his passion for everything else. So you're in bridal partnership. What is moving his heart will move your heart. And what don't move his heart won't move yours. Conversely. It's scary for me. People will come to me with a sob story and I look at them and I think, nothing is moving. Because I am no longer moved by my human emotions. I'm not moved by my own generosity of heart. I am moved when the Spirit of God moves me. Um, those of you who know, um, there's a girl who comes from Follies, known her for many years. Had a, we've had a somewhat bumpy relationship. Um, and we've come head to head on more than one occasion. But at this last passing the baton meeting, God has been softening my heart towards her and showing me that things were not as I thought they were. And at this last passing the baton, she came up to me at the end and said something, and I said to her, sweetheart, I owe you an apology. I did not know how broken you were. I didn't know where you were coming from. And by God's grace, and if you will allow it, I will make up to you for the way I've been towards you. She filled up with tears. We had the most brilliant hug because the, the prickliness even, even defeated me. And I'm pretty good with prickly people. I can get in and under. But this one, but God has done his work in my heart. I'm beginning to see her from his viewpoint. You will never deal with awkward people unless you... It, none of the world's methods will do it you have got to have the heart of God and as I say I'm not moved now other things that will, will touch and uh, people's sympathies I don't allow my sympathy to come in sympathy is no good to us empathy is fine because that moves in alongside and says I know how you feel I've been there but sympathy is old there, there poor old you and actually it takes a person down, doesn't lift them up. Empathy will sometimes give them a little slap on the rump and get them <laughs> moving, which makes them lift their feet and get out of the mud they're in. But it's one of the problems is that we are moved by our natural emotion. And we, emotions, Joyce Meyer says, is our number one enemy. It really is. Because we cannot be moved by our heart. We must pray about everything seek what God wants us to do in every situation and it's a process you come you don't get this it's uh, you don't get this all at once so you all know the velveteen rabbit you know do you get there all at once or bit by bit and then the skin horse says no bit by bit you know and he says by the time that you've uh, loosened the joints and all your fur has been rubbed off and your eyes are dropping out you're real made me cry the first time I heard it because you know it's you by the time you are real you are loosing the joints all your fur's been rubbed off and your eyes are falling out <laughs> but you're real 
and everybody knows you're real. You can't pull the wool. And, and, but the thing is, of course, you do get to, to suss out who's pulling wool over who. You know, and you think, you surely don't think I'm going to buy that package, do you? Uh, but even so, you give them rope because you think, it's not as I think I see it. It surely isn't, Lord. What do you see? Oh, tell, you don't want to know what I'm seeing here, Father. Just tell me. Oh. Anyway, there we are. The other thing is that uh, when we've got ourselves, if we can, single-minded, single-eyed, single-hearted passion, if we haven't got that, just think about it. What we love, we will follow. What you love, you'll follow. So have a little examination and see what it is you're following and what is at the root of what you're loving. Most of the time, if we're absolutely basic, rock-solid honest, it's self. Self is at the centre it's self-love, self-protection, and I don't mean the sort of self-love which is acceptance of yourself how you are and enjoyment of yourself how you are. Because you will come to that, that you're enjoying what God's doing with you, what he's making of you. I'm a work in progress and I like what he's done so far. The bits that still need doing are falling down a bit, but he'll soon be shoring that up and making it nice. So you just... it's. Every now and again it is really good not to do navel gazing, there's a total difference, but be honest with yourself and say, okay, Father, what I love I'll follow, so what, what's got my heart? Because whatever has actually got your heart, if it ain't Jesus, needs to be got out of the way because in the Old Testament they called it idolatry. So that. Is, is being basic with it. And I, I, I sometimes in ministry get people to do a pie chart, you know, draw a big circle. Now, just divide it up into how much Jesus has actually got of your heart. This isn't a condemnation. You can see where you're at. How much time do I spend in recreation, uh, in suiting myself, in buying my clothes, in going on holiday, in planning what I'm going to do? How much of my life is actually given over to him? It's horrifying sometimes when you look because you think, oh, I thought I was fully committed. And then you look at it and you think, I'm not anything of the sort. But that's okay. You know, you set yourself to having a look and being, being under the Holy Spirit, seeing where you actually are because actually you want to move on. He wants to bring you from one degree of glory to another. He wants his church to be in the position of being so different, people are going to say, what have you got? Apparently, um, Roger Price, um, some of you know he was in his late 30s when he died, um, but he was out in a cafe somewhere having a cup of tea. And this man kept looking at him across the cafe. And Roger would smile and nod, sitting there supping his coffee or whatever it was. And eventually this man came over, sat down and he said, what is it you've got? What is it? What have you got? He said, so I told him. It was just pouring out of him. What was pouring out of him? Jesus. To the extent that we will allow, uh, those of you who, who bought the book, Watchman Nee's um, Release of the Spirit, you'll know what I'm talking about. And when we come to look at body, soul, spirit, you will understand it more. If you look at it like a nut... The, the outer shell of the nut being our body 
and then inside there's the like the kernel it's actually going to be more than a nut there's the kernel which is our soul and right inside that is our spirit that whole shell has to be broken in order for the release of the spirit to come through and that is a process and it's governed by how much we will allow the Lord to tap away with his little hammer to break us out. There is a difference between being broken because of what life circumstances has done to us. It is not that sort of brokenness. That will shatter you inside and that needs to be repaired. But the brokenness that God brings along is the release of the spirit where you find that you are deferring and wanting other people to to uh, go further and faster than you have you are only concerned with promoting their interests you are esteeming the other person more highly than this is why in a position of leadership it ain't like the world says about leadership the whole essence of leadership is to release others into a higher place than you are in yourself in order that that generation will bring up people going higher still it is not about I say jump, you say how high. But because the world's methods are in what is currently called church, we have problems. But God is, is dealing with us gently or, or not, so the, depending on our resistance. And he won't let us go because we are resisting. Bless him. He continues with us. That's why I say, deal with me ruthlessly. Do not let me get away with a thing. And then I hear, do you remember the Wimmicks, the little Wimmick, the little wooden person? I tried so hard, Eli. <laughs> and Eli says, I know, child. <laughs> you don't have to justify yourself to me. <laughs> there have been times when I've said to God, I tried so hard. I know, child. <laughs> I do try hard to be what he wants me to be. I mean, I've put everything I've got into it. Because I don't see it's any worth putting everything you've got into anything else, really, myself. So, the essence of Psalm 132, if you want to get back to that. We haven't looked at the scriptures, have we? Isn't it disgusting? Ah, is that when we pass through the threshold of humbling ourselves, God reorganizes our priorities and thoughts as he draws us into the inner chamber. And so... The whole of Psalm 132 is about finding out what God's priorities are and what his pro our preoccupations should be. And, and we need the passion of David because David's passion was to move the ark of God. David's passion was to build a place for the Lord. He didn't get to do that. His son did it. But he provided for his son in order that he could do it. And David got to the place, if you remember, in 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 23, where he danced before the Lord with all his might. His ephod or his underpants went up in the air. He got shown off all his bits and pieces, um, to the, even the maids, as his wife said, can see the king exposing himself. She was, oh. But he didn't care, because he wasn't doing it for the people. He was just so thrilled with the Lord. And yet, look at the man. He was a murderer, he was an adulterer, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. No? Who, David? Yes, I mean, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And yet, God says he's a man after my heart. Why? Because he was moldable, teachable, and he loved God with all his heart. It doesn't say we've got to be perfect. It says that we need to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we can't do that without that we ask him. I can't do this because it takes God to love God. So back you go to him again. I want to give you a present, Daddy, please. Can you help me love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? It's just so lovely. The passion of David. Most of David's afflictions were self-inflicted, if you know what I mean. And what started me off this morning, and I'll stop in a minute, um, was that the way of the pilgrim is the way of passion. And you will find that if you go all out for God, yours will be the way of a pilgrim. Uh, because, as I said at the start, bridal partnership, she's not initiating anything. But the Holy Spirit is initiating it through her, and she becomes a pilgrim, going wherever the desires of the Holy Spirit take her. Wherever he wants her to go, she will go. And it's no longer two lives to be lived but one, his through her. And her whole vision becomes huge. It's no longer just a local church. It's the bride of Christ. It's no longer just little ups and downs and petty bits and pieces. She can look beyond that to see the whole bride. You know. So if we're going to enter into the fullness of God's presence and power, it's going to require passion. Ever since I heard the teaching on uh, Nepios, Technon, I forget what the marks, but Paidon, and huios, which is the which is the Greek words for a growing child, which is how we all grow, and there's no shortcuts. I've wanted to be a huios because what they did was in the in those days when um, and it didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily the son of the family. It could be um, uh, even a servant who had proved himself out, proved himself to to be faithful. Honest, integrous, um, on the ball, you know, not dilatory in anything. It, if it was, if he w he proved himself out to the master as a son in the household, it would not necessarily be the, the the blood son. This is why this whole business about adoption is not the as you know, as you probably know, it's not adoption as we understand adoption. It's not adoption in the Western way of thinking when uh, what Jesus is referring to in, in our adoption as sons is the uh, uh, ceremony that they went through when when a man adopted a son uh, as his own he'd take him to the main square which was where everything happened put him on a little plinth and said today he, he's become my son hear him so Jesus' adoption that son was when he came up out of the waters of baptism. This is my son. Hear him. I'm pleased with him. He's my son. That was his ceremony of adoption. Because he then got daddy's checkbook. Because he could be trusted with it. So a huios can be trusted with daddy's checkbook. And what uh, the, the, the man of the house was saying was, his word is my word. If he says he will pay it, he will pay it, I will pay it. If he, if he makes an undertaking, I will fulfill it. 
because he so knew what the mind of the master was and how the master would be in that he was able to trust him completely with everything he got and we're on that progress from being a nepios which is a child without speech through to a huios which is a fully mature son abba father the reason it says that is abba daddy that's what a baby says daddy 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 father is what the son says what you're seeing there when paul is saying abba father is the progression from baby to son it's in there and he, that's what he wants god is looking for the manifest son the whole of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of god i'm not i'm not a daughter god has no got no daughters he's got sons there's another dichotomy and the men of the brides isn't it well not the wrong word probably the men of the bride we're aiming at something god's intentional with us we forget in the maelstrom of all the muck that's flying around us in our circumstances god has got an intention for your life every one of you he is intentional about okay father i want to be intentional towards you you're intentional towards me what's your what you know i'm returning that rise up my love yes hear me my love yes it's this response there will always be a response required from us because he's not got robots he will always want a response if we're going to make pilgrimage into the very presence and power of God and if we're going to grow up in Jesus and be conformed to his image it's not going to happen by some apathetic laid back indifferent attitude you will not get there with that God has done all he's going to do you have got to be the one to say yes I'm standing up Joyce and I are always joking about the fact we never found out what it was we stood up for we were at this meeting and there was a passionate thing and they had like a call for us to stand up so us two stood up she got a foot stuck in the grating i said what are you doing sitting down there stand up said, i've got my foot stuck <laughs> this is an old church little tiny grating like that and a heel had gone down through this grating so there we were standing up there and everything kicked off after that you know you just you think what did i say yes to but there we are signed up and that was that so it requires that passionate commitment in seeking and serving the things of God and we're going to have to be like David who is spoken of as having a heart after God he was not perfect but he was passionate so we want the peas he was passionately involved in his God with his God and you and I must be the same if we're going to find that place of actually dwelling with God Tanya and I were talking last night and, and the old chestnut of what what my cover is and I said well actually it's Psalm 91 I abide in the secret place of the most high I dwell under the shadow of the almighty that's my cover take it up with him you know never mind so there's one more thing that when pilgrimage gets added to passion it propels us so pilgrimage plus passion propels you into the things of God. Right now I'm being propelled at a rate of knots 
into the things of God. It's astonishing. I'm really quite nervous, as I said at the beginning, of myself. Because there is such a passion within me, which is like it was when I first got born again. Only now, it's got knowledge and experience. I've gone through trials. God has taken me round things. I've come into understanding. And there is something firmer underneath that passion. And it's propelling me into the next part of my journey with God. I'm in a different stage. So I'm actually now seeking God in a different way. I listen to Graham and I say to the Lord, I don't understand what he's talking about. Please, could you sh- what's he saying? What's he mean? I don't understand what he's saying. I mean, time was when I did understand, but now where he is at, I don't understand. I'm not comprehending. What's he saying? What's he mean? He said, and something I was listening to last night, you, you have favor, you're in the favor of God, but you need to understand the favor in your relationship with God as well, because that's a different thing. I'm thinking, hello, I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> What's that mean? You know? He wants every one of us to be like Moses, who was the man that God spoke to face to face. Face to face. Just imagine it. Shall I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? Friend of God. So he did. He told Abraham, with the result that Abraham did a bit of bartering, didn't he? If there was 50 righteous, as Graham would say, I'm on a roll here, 20, 10. If I can find 10 righteous, I won't bring judgment. Fancy being able to have a conversation like that with Almighty God. Awesome. I mean, it's awesome. What he wa- It's frightening what he, how close he wants to take us. And yet, there's, there's a song on that, to on and on, uh, Ruth Fazell's. I'm, I'm coming in, I'm coming up higher, I'm coming in further, I'm coming in deeper to be with you. Will you lead me? She's saying, I'm coming, but will you lead me? Do you always get this thing? I'm coming, but you need to lead me. Because we can't go there without he leads us, but he needs us to say that he wants us to come. We lose nothing. So pilgrimage plus passion propels us into the things and the presence and power of God and it has to matter to us. David had a heart after God and to be a real pilgrim means we have to burn with a holy passion for God. Not with emotions that are artificially generated and whipped up, but with passion. If you haven't got passion, ask him for it. How do you think you get it? Father, I'm laid back, I'm lackadaisical, I couldn't care less. You've got to inject me with your passion. You know, I'm bored out of my skull. Inject me with your passion. Christian life is anything but a boring. <laughs> God cares passionately about us. He's preoccupied with us, you know. It's quite scary, really. He never takes his eyes off me, which means I can't do a thing, really, without him knowing. And things I could do last week, I can't do this week, but there we are. Things I thought last week, I can't think this week. So, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that should bring us into a passion for building up one another, not criticizing one another, but helping one another, bonding together. I think it's Acts 2.22. They had 
all, everything together. Uh, in, they're all together in one place, doing everything together. I think it's two, two, two. Came across it yesterday evening. Oh, I'm finally opening my Bible. You wouldn't think you took that long and not open your Bible, would you? <laughs> oh dear. Please forgive me, Father. I can't remember where it is. It was where he said they were all in fellowship together. Mm. Yeah. They had everything in common anyway, and they looked out after each other. They had everything in common. Right. Anything else you want to say this morning, Lord? I'll tell you what will happen. When we come into this, the glory will come down. Graham tells about being in meetings where the glory cloud comes down and he actually seen it. People coming into meetings with no money in their pockets, going out with their the pockets stuffed with money and nobody giving them anything. Money is not a problem. Um, it is a problem if you haven't got it. I recognise that. But if you will hold on in there, the provision will come because where there's a problem, there's always the provision and the promise is there for the provision. What he's trying to do is to get your eyes off the problem and onto his provision and onto him so that you can seek first and only the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that everything else can be added to you. It's seek him first, seek him first. Anyway, there we are. Right. Father, thank you. What can we say? All things come of you and, and of thine own do we give thee, Father. Um, I think it was David said that. Everything comes from you. Everything good and perfect comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. And Father, I pray that your word will be enlivened this morning e each heart in Jesus name in Jesus name Amen thank you for listening